0: networking and marketing made simple is for you the business owner that has a product service or message that you truly believe in my name is scott aaron and each week we'll take a behind the scenes look at real world networking and marketing tactics while leveraging linkedin to get what you have in front of many more people thanks for spending time with me and let's get started Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Networking and Marketing Made Simple. Super excited for today's episode for obviously two reasons. Number one, you guys know that this is a interview episode so you get to hear the journey, the story uh, from other entrepreneurs of what they have done, uh, their backstories and how they've gotten to the place that they are. Um, also just excited because I get I always love returning the favor of being a guest on others' podcasts. Uh, I was on Zach's podcast uh, a little while ago and in the podcasting world and entrepreneur world, it's it's so important to scratch each other's backs and to support each other, to help each other grow. And that's exactly what we're doing today. Uh, Zach is the uh, founder and co-founder of Summit Chasers. We're going to talk about all that and more. Uh, he's got a such an interesting background. Uh, lots of ups and downs, twists and turns, and there's a lot of things that him and I resonated with even before we jumped into recording on either this podcast and his. So I'm really looking forward to having him share all that with you. So, Zach, with all that behind us, welcome to today's episode.
1: And I, I appreciate that, and I appreciate the sentiment, my friend. We
0: uh, always got to support each other. So it's really, really cool you're doing this. 100%. That's what it's all about. So w- before we get into, like, Summit Chasers and everything, I- I'm I'm always... Uh, wanting to hear people's stories. And and you have such a diverse and interesting background from all the things that you've done, which I'm not going to give away any of those. People are going to have to listen to the episode to get those things. But if if you had to put your life in reverse and mm-hmm. rewind the tape and press stop at a certain point that you feel was a catalytic moment for you that kind of set you on this path and this journey that you're on, uh, what was that moment for you? It would have
1: been oof. That's a good question. I'm stealing that one. It would have to be the moment I got maybe not the moment, but shortly after the moment I got injured. When I so I, I was fighting professionally. I was living in Vegas, and we had a a wrestling team. I can't remember where they're from, but I'm Canadian, so we don't wrestle a ton. <laughs> so they're they're much better. They're like a division one uh, team. And I I was wrestling with him. And the guy was so strong, he pulled my femur out of place. Like, it dislocated my hip. So, but that that pushed me out of a sport that I wasn't 100% in. And it gave me, it kind of gave me an out. And it forced me to kind of look at some other things. And the decision that I made after that, which was the decision to not fight to stay in the U.S., it was to just go back to Canada kind of lick my wounds and that that's what kind of opened up my mind to my next sport but i was a professional in which was crossfit which i didn't even know that i could compete in let alone be a professional athlete in. and it was it was that decision to go all in to leave the fighting behind me and go all in on on the fitness like fitness racing and because that's what ultimately pushed me towards being an entrepreneur and 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 having that like finding my true kind of my true passion, like I was a hobbyist entrepreneur for the longest time before I was like, oh, this is what I love to do, truly. Um, but that was kind of that was the decision was to leave because fighting is what saved my life, really, Like because I was so I was an addict. <clears throat> I was homeless by the time I was 18 and I was an addict in small town, Canada, and <clears throat> fighting was what, what got me out of it. It was that focus. It was I had I had something else to push the obsession onto. So I always thought that, okay, this is just what I'm supposed to do. This is all, this is who I am.
0: Do you you remember the person that recommended the fighting aspect of things to kind of get you back on the right path? His name, it was my boxing coach. His name was Gord.
1: still don't know his last name, but I was, (laughs) I was sleeping in a, uh, I was, it was during the day and I was passed out in one of those, you know, those like horizontal tubes, it's like a slide, but it's not a slide. So there was one that I would frequent. And I was, I was laying in it, my legs were hanging out and he would always come check on me. And I still remember every time I tell the story, I can, f- I feel the stinger when he kicked me in my calf, you know, when you get kicked or get hit, just a, just below the knee on the side there, your whole foot goes numb. But that always sticks out in my head and he, he hit me there. And he's like, dude, what, what are you doing with your life? And this is a guy, he's not, he's pretty rough around the edges. This isn't like, you know, he didn't graduate high school or anything like that. And he, he's like, what are you doing, dude? Like, you have all this potential that you're wasting away. I'm like, okay, dad, whatever. Like, I'm not going to, who, who's going to hire me right now? I'm not going to get a job. He's like, I'm not talking about getting a job. I'm talking about, let's go buy a shirt. So that that was, it was kind of, it, it was those steps. Like, even just buying a shirt seemed like a lot, let alone getting a job. So he went, went and bought a shirt and we went to this place called the bargain store in town where I'm from. And it was a red shirt, but had one of those, those kind of like a, the smiling emoji, but it was kind of like melting, like somebody had painted it and the paint was still wet. I still remember the shirt. I don't know where the shirt went, but I remember that shirt. But that that was kind of the that was the catalyst. And again, he was my he was my boxing coach. So he was like, Let's focus on this. So I'm gonna train you for free for this much time and like we're just gonna go all out. Like this is what we're gonna do for now. And then that that's kind of what got me out of it. Like he he helped me put my obsession onto something else and get me out of it. And then it slowly got clean and then I got a job at the, the local swimming pool. And then I had started, you know, competing in, in martial arts more and more and more. And I was kinda of like, that's is, that's what got me out of it. So I was like, well, that's what got me out of it. This is my safe place, which is weird that fighting is their safe place. It's not usually correlated with safety, but it was for me. And then I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go all out. And then I had a sister that moved to Vegas, and then Gord's actually the one that convinced me to move to Las Vegas. Um, he, he was a, played a big part in convincing me to move to Las Vegas, and I moved to Las Vegas, and then that's when my actual
0: professional career kind of started. So obviously there's a – different skill sets that we all have and disciplines within those skills. You know, for me, you know, we both, you and I both have a fitness background. I came from the world of, you know, bodybuilding and powerlifting. And, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, what were some of the big things that you took away from that? And for me, it was structure, routine, but also goal setting. You know, I, I would, I, I, my, my dad just had a double knee replacement. Uh, I went to go visit him the other day in rehab. And, you know, I said to him, like, I remember the days uh, because he still competes in bench press contests and stuff, but he's, you know, obviously can't do that right now until he gets full flexion back of his mm-hmm. knees. But for me, I, I remember carrying around uh, a manila envelope with mm-hmm. just sheets of paper. And I, I had it, you know, my, my bench, my dead, my squat, and then all my sub movements uh, you know, uh, Romanian deadlifts, stiff, leg deadlifts, you know, extensions, curls, like press, and I would build to a one rep max for all of them. And I would pace it out over, you know, eight to 10 weeks. So mm-hmm. I would do a percentage of my bench on week one, you know, say 50% of my goal max, but I always had something that I was reaching for something that I was striving for something that I could like a focal point. I needed yeah. a North star. I needed a compass. What was that North Star and that compass for you in the world of boxing and then kind of bleeding into martial arts that kind of kept you going and kept you moving forward?
1: I I love the way you said that. And I've said this before in other podcasts is that's that's what kept my my discipline. It was was a mark on my calendar. It was a date. I had a date. So I had a fight coming up in six weeks. So I knew that I had to train six weeks. I had to make it six weeks. And then I could structure everything backwards from there. So that's what kind of what created the structure was the mark on the calendar. And then when I get into it, I love, you know, you you walk around with a notebook. I would always like invest when I say invest, you know, just, I'd always buy a nice journal because you you buy nice things. I want to carry it around. I want to write nicely in it. I want to keep things organized in it. So when I shifted to, to CrossFit, I would, every four weeks, I knew what I was doing. So I knew this week, these are my workouts on Monday, Tuesday, I would plan out everything and I would do train like almost 12 training sessions a week. And they were all planned out. I would make sure that I planned them out beforehand and they're all nicely written in my journal. And I'd put my, you know, whatever the, my times were the weights I lifted, everything was recorded nicely in there, but it was always, I always had a date on the calendar. I know I have a competition here. I know this is the, the workouts that are going to be in. I know the races that are going to be in here. This is who I'm fighting. This is what I need to work on. Right. So you always had that date on the calendar and what that data on the calendar represented to then structure what I was doing for the time leading up to that time on the calendar. And it wasn't until afterwards I realized that you need to, if you don't have those anymore, like that was tough, like getting into like the entrepreneur world. Cause that's an infinite game. Like you're, There's no, I mean, unless you have like a specific launch or, you know, you have a webinar coming up, but that's you putting it on the calendar. That's you having to create that and put it on the calendar. So as long as I always created something and put it on the calendar and had something to work backwards from, that was when I worked the best. But it kind of goes from like that being pressed upon you to like you have a fight date here or you have a competition here or whatever it is to like I have to create that date on the calendar. I have to do that. I have to create it. That was kind of the biggest change I had to do but that's what worked best for me is put something on the calendar define what I had to do to achieve that and then work backwards if
0: it's not written down it's not going to get done I said there's an old adage that goes along with that so this is more of a sidebar personal question I I always wondered this from MMA fighters because I'm friends with a couple my dad used to train a, a bunch of the guys what's that mindset shift because again like if people could see you you know, you don't look like a violent person. Obviously, you don't sound like a violent person, but there's a switch. And and athletes talk about this. Like, and even when I was doing, you know, my power lifts, you know, when I would get under a squat bar, you know, with four plates on each side, you know, and I, I was doing, you know, over 400 pounds for reps. And I was, you know, getting in front of a, a loaded bar for a deadlift close to 500 pounds. There's, there's a switch that you need to, you know, turn on how did you make and this kind of goes for everything that you did your your boxing your mma your crossfit how how do you make that internal switch like what 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 did you do to help you shift your mindset block everything else out and get you in that zone that you had to be in to you know compete in crossfit to face that person looking across from you in the octagon or you know the boxing ring
1: I mean, I think it it parallels great with like even in sales. Like you come into like there's an outcome you want to achieve, like a very clear outcome you want to achieve. And you want to do everything you can to increase the odds of you achieving the outcome. So and obviously the repercussions vary by what you're doing. Obviously in a fight, the repercussions are a lot different than in a sales because you don't get the sale, you don't get the sale move on, you lose a fight, you 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 know, that injury could last forever. But it was when when everything closed, it was just me and one other person. And uh, like even bull riders back in where I'm from in Canada, we do a lot of bull riding and they say the same thing when that, when it's locked, it's just me and that bull or it's just me and that person. And that's all I can focus on. That That's it. Nothing else. Like the crowd, the crowd goes silent. Even if they're screaming, you can't hear them. Cause it's, it's just this, this is all it is. This is all the work you've done that you've put into this It's the, the game plan almost goes out the window immediately. So everything's muscle memory. Like you, you fall to the level of your preparation, right? and it's just the focus is so singular right so like if you're going up to a barbell like you're there's only a few things you can focus on right if you're going up to a heavy barbell you're not focusing on like you're not actively focusing on okay i need to brace my core okay i need to pull down on the bar i need to brace my lats okay now i'm going to like drive my heels into the ground or externally rotate whatever your cues were you're not thinking all of that when you're going under that much weight right it's just you and the bar and that's all you're thinking about right? right And then, and then obviously people are yelling at you to drive and you might have an own, own, like your own internal cue that, that keeps you driving up, that, that helps you. But again, it's so, it's very singular. So when you're in that cage, the worst part is leading up to it. The worst part is, is walking out. The worst part is warming up in the back. I'm throwing up. I'm every bad situation that could possibly go wrong is going through my head. Right. But I've come this far. I'm not going to back out because then i look like a sissy. Right. But it, w- once you get in there, once that's locked, it's so singular. Like, it's just, like, you almost have, don't have time to, to even think. You don't have time to regret, right? It's just it's just you and that person. There's no going back now. It's just you and whatever muscle memory, whatever reactions you keep from training, and that's, that's it. And then just don't quit. And then once you get gone, honestly, it's fun. Gonna sound, it's going to sound kind of crazy. But you get hit a few times, you realize it doesn't hurt that bad unless you get kicked. Getting kicked hurts so bad, like, in the arms and the, the stomach. And, like, that that hurts bad. But getting hit in the head is not as bad comparatively. But it, once you get into the rhythm... And then your focus narrows even more and you're just kind of, you're just flowing. It's actually a lot of fun. And you're not even thinking about anything else, right? You're just, you're just not, like a lot, people ask me that before, like, what's the mindset of going into a fight? It's like, I'm terrified. And if anybody says otherwise, they're absolutely insane. Like, it's just, it's scary. It's a scary thing. It's just, it's what I was good at. It's what I like to do. I love the training. And then when you get locked into there with one other person, that's all you think about. That's, that's it.
0: Now, moving from MMA to competitive CrossFit, Obviously, you know, one is, you know, obviously you versus another person. But, you know, there's a competitive aspect to CrossFit, you know, whether it's the CrossFit games or just individual PRs. What was the hardest transition to bridge between training for MMA to now going to a lot of the Olympic and dynamic movements of CrossFit?
1: Physically, it was... Fairly similar, actually, because again, it's there's a lot of parallels between the two. Which, like mixed martial arts, that's what it is it's in the name, mixed, right? You're not just kickboxing, you're not just boxing, you're not just doing jiu-jitsu you're not just wrestling. Everything has to work together. Crossfit's the same thing. You know, I could be running five miles, one one event, and then I could, you know, have to do a, like a max deadlift the next, and then some of them will have like a mix of the two or whatever it is, right? So you had to be good at everything. Like it's about the whole ball of wax. And there's a lot of parallels between the two in business. I'm just focusing on the whole ball of wax, but. The biggest thing was that surprised me was that I actually found crossfit to be a lot harder mentally than fighting, because in Cro- like if you're not fitter than the people around you, it's really hard to just outwork them in the moment, right? Like it's it's all about preparation at that point. Like if you don't prepare, you're not going to win. But when you're in a fight, like you can outgrind somebody, like you can land a lucky punch, like you can you can bear down on your mouthpiece and you know go for it. Right, and but when you're when you're fitness, you're you're so like you're you're capped. You go in, you have a cap, right? You go into a fight, you have a certain cap, but there's still a chance. Right? There's still some there's some things you can do. But in in CrossFit, it was like I'd fall behind and like I can't I can't go hit the person and get get a get the time back. You know what I mean? So it it's almost that was the biggest surprise. Probably it was like that mental aspect of like you're only as good as as you are when you show up like there's no way that you can outperform somebody if you don't prepare appropriately
0: so let's talk about the entrepreneurial side of things so you get into crossfit and the entrepreneurial spark was lit what what enabled that to happen and what did you then outside of putting your time your energy and effort to your body and, and keeping yourself healthy what did you start pouring a lot of your time focus and energy on business wise to help really feed that entrepreneurial itch that you wanted to scratch
1: yeah so i uh one of the gyms well the the first gym that i wanted to join when i was when i came back and i found out i could compete in crossfit i was like i need a gym to train at because i again i moved back to the small town the closest city was about an hour and a half away so i needed i needed a place to 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 train and i didn't want to have to make the drive all the time so i needed to find like a nest egg in the city so and there was a gym that was kind of struggling but i really loved the people and they're like well, if you buy in, you can sleep in this room over here, and then you can train. You know, obviously, whenever you want. And I was like, okay, I had a little bit of money left over from my last my last few fights and the exchange rate was pretty good from the U.S. to Canada. So, um, so I bought in, bought into the gym, really, really, really small percentage. And um, I remember the first time it was it was only a few months after that we had our first like meeting, um, and we went through like P and L statements and that kind of stuff. And I was like, yeah, we have like two hundred members. There's like two hundred dollars a month. You know, so like we're making like, you know, we're making really good money. And then we get it and I look at like the, after the, like the p statement at the end and it's like single digits. And I was like, what's that? Like, why is that number so low? Like, where did all the money go? You know, and I just like, obviously there's a lot of overhead and, you know, fixed costs and you're hiring people, equipment, things break, leases, yada, yada. And uh, so I'm like, oh, so this isn't as simple as I thought it was. Um, so then I got obsessed with, how, okay, how do I make that number go up? So I just, that was in my off time because when I wasn't training, I was like, I was either training or coaching the classes or I was like, like my trainers would say, like, don't move, like just recover. Like, that's what you need to be doing. Like I'm working out hard 12 days a week or 12, 12 workouts a week. And then I'm coaching a few hours a day. Like if you're not doing any of that, just you're not doing anything. You're getting massages and you're an ice bath and that's it. So during that time I was on, I mean, and YouTube wasn't huge as big as it is now anyways, but I was learning as much as I could. And there was a lot of, like, the, the, that was the first time I read the Jim Collins book was in 2014. I think, I think it was good, good to great or built to last. I can't remember which one it was. Um, but that, that's, I just, I got obsessed with that. I got obsessed with how do I make that number go up? How does, how does a business run? How can a business be successful? How does it last? Um, and I got, again, got obsessed with that. I started learning marketing and sales and okay, how can we can, how can we diversify some of our revenue streams? I started getting sponsorships with, with um, supplement companies like, okay, I thought about strategic partnerships differently. And how do I have those, those conversations? And, you know, you bring people in and you bundle and, you know, I said this to you, I think on your, your podcast, like the the best, I think like industry wise foundation for sales is in fitness because you're selling a pipe dream. You're selling a bunch of work at the possibility you'll get the outcome. Like, that's a hard, that's a tough sell. Like, in, in business, and it doesn't work all the time like that, but it's like, okay, you do this, you get this outcome, and usually that outcome's a bunch of money. We're like, okay, you do this, it's going to be really hard. You might get some of the results you want, and it's not going to make you any money. <laughs> like, directly, anyways, right? So that that sell, that sales foundation, is, it was really, I really learned a lot in, in that, and in kind of how to, you know, to speak to the emotions of people and, you know, find the gap and, and solve their problems and that kind of stuff. But anyways, I learned, you know, how to increase, you know, profit per square into the gym and how to utilize time better. Cause at that, at that period of time, you know, it was a lot of like time and space for money, right. Or that's not really a space you want to be in. So, okay, how can I optimize that as much as possible? And then we got that gym to like basically a negative P and L to like, we were starting to see like 10, 15, $20,000, dollars Green. Um, and then we invested in another gym. And then I brought a lot of that same systems over to that gym. Um, so I went from uh, athlete inside performance to infinity five fitness. And then I sold both of those, or my my shares for both of those. And then we went to uh, CrossFit 956 did the same thing there. And I did that with six, six gyms, where I basically just like bought into them and flipped them. And but by the end of it, I, got, I had a pretty good system. And, it's, and that's when like, the whole gym launch thing was just, they're just starting to get prevalent. Um, so, so I actually, I ended up working with them for one, one of the gyms and, um, a lot of it was stuff I was already doing, like, you know, how to launch a gym, how to get everybody excited, how to get like, you know, pre-sells and how to market it properly. And then, and bundle it. So like, okay, here's programs that we can sell on the side that bundles with the supplements and bundles with other programs. Okay. I partnered with massage therapists and physiotherapists to come in and rent rooms and then brought them in on that. Like, how do we bundle this and compensate them? So... We had, a, we had a pretty good system. And then I met a, uh, one of my sponsors at the time. They were opening up like a big – they wanted to be kind of like an all-encompassing. They wanted a big fitness facility, and they sold uh, fitness equipment. And so they they came in, and they're like, hey, we want you to open this giant – like, say giant, it was like 10,000 square feet. Some gyms, that's not very big. But for boutique gyms at that point, it's not really a boutique. It's a big gym. So we came in, and we, we opened up that facility – and we grew both the fitness equipment side parallel with the performance center. When I joined, they were doing about 1.8 million, I think, on the fitness equipment side, maybe just, just under 1.8. And then by the time I left, about two and a half, about two and a half, three years later, we we're doing just under 25. So we we had grown that a lot, and that was just again strategic partnerships utilizing. So there, there's a concept that Jim Collins teaches it's the hedgehog concept, and one of the it's like three intersecting circles, and one of the circles is what your what drives your economic engine. And That's one thing that got me really thinking, when we were working, when I, when I was growing that business, was we were importing a lot of our steel from China, so we were we were trying to think, okay, how can we? In, and lead times are brutal, so we're thinking, okay, how can we increase our profit per square inch of steel? So we're thinking of all the different ways we could diversify that through leasing equipment to competitions and conventions, to especially the big the bigger competitions because they would have like eight or nine different rigs set up at a time, and that's like each rig is like three tons of steel like that's a lot so we would have a, you know where we would lease it we'd have a team that go out and put them up for them and everything and also one of the other companies he ran a freight like his mothership i call it like the mothership was a freight so he had already had a huge distribution chain that could go all across canada so we were set up to, to grow right but that's where i you know like building a team understanding uh, it's all about who you bring on your team, like it's the who before the how, if you ever read any Dan Sullivan stuff, it's focused on the who, and then they'll figure out, they'll, they'll work with you to figure out the how, and I had learned that the hard way a few times, but it's really like, how do I find these people, and then how do I hire, I go from hiring all trades, okay, now I need to hire people who are masters of what they do, like specifically, I need to hire sales people, marketing people, product development people, um, logistics, so that was when I, I really got a like, okay, this is how business is supposed to run. This is the ball of wax I was talking about, right? Um, and then uh, we had some core value differences. Uh, let's let's put it that way. Um, if you want to hear the real story, I'll tell you off. But um, it, uh ended up moving back to Canada. We just had a daughter. Uh, sorry, I moved back to the U.S. Uh, we just had a daughter. She wanted to be closer to my now ex-wife's family. She was from the U.S. Moved back to the U.S. And we had um, some money left over from the buyout. And we wanted to like, okay, well, we've done it before in Canada. Let's open, you know, a gym and just see if we can turn it to kind of a chain in in Vegas. That was the end of 2019. We dumped all of our money into this COVID hits. We lost absolutely everything, (laughs) absolutely everything. Like to the point where I had to go work at, uh, not go, I had to work out of our garage, but I had to do customer service for Netflix, like for $12 an hour and in our in the now spring summerish time in Vegas, in our garage, we just had a newborn. My son was born, lost everything. I had a. I was in my underwear basically answering these phone calls from old ladies that like lost their remote. And um, I had a little, like the size of my monitor, basically a little air conditioning unit that I had to put like two feet away from me. And then every call I had to turn it off. And some of the calls were like 45 minutes and 120 degree heat in the garage, it was brutal. But, um, and then it got to a point where it was like, I need to, I need to get out of this Like I'm, I did enough to survive. Like we're, we have food on our table. Let's, I need to go. I need, I need to go do what I was supposed to do. And I, I found a guy who started a gym in, in uh, downtown Las Vegas, and he was also a keynote speaker. So I knew that there was other opportunities we could kind of utilize. And uh, I just, I came in and I was like, Hey man, now this is what I've done at other gyms. I think I could do it with yours. Let's give it a shot. And he was a big thinker as well. And uh, so, yeah, we, we turned this little 1100 square foot, Tiny gym downtown Las Vegas uh, into a two hundred thousand dollar a month profit generator. Like this was like ever like we we had online. I was doing life coaching and business coaching as well at the time too. So we had a lot of clients that were doing a little bit of both. Um, we had coaches that were doing online uh, nutrition plans and all this kind of stuff. Um, that I had learned I actually worked for a company called V Shred. I don't know if you're familiar with V Shred. I helped them build out a lot of their online nutrition coaching platform and all that kind of stuff. But uh, so I had a lot of experience there, so we, we we built it out really really well in a really short period of time, and then we had a client who was from the California, and they owned a bail bonds company, and they're like, you know what, a lot of the stuff you're doing would work with my sales team, and I was like, well, I, mean, I looked at it and I was like, yeah, I mean, probably. So we worked with their sales team. We went out, we did a workshop on like accountability and sales and leadership and that kind of stuff. And they it crushed, and then so we worked with them for about six months, and they they went from being stagnant at about forty million for years to that year they were going to show a sixty million dollar, so they 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 jumped incredibly. And I'm not to say that wasn't all us, but it was a, it was a small piece. It was a good like okay, this stuff works, right? It doesn't not work. Um, so we're like, okay, are, are we going to do this then? So we were like, this is our bold move, I guess. So we dropped everything, January twenty one, and that's what we started doing was we did, we're doing workshops, keynotes, leadership, consulting, sales, sales, coaching, sales, leadership, coaching, ended up working with some amazing companies. Uh, when HP was acquiring Zerto, they, they hired us to work with Zerto um, and, and Hewlett Packard, uh, Salesforce, CarGurus, um, Nextdoor, and obviously a lot of smaller SMEs um, with like a sales leadership, leadership in general, executive coaching. And that's really where I started getting obsessed was just, Business foundations. Like, and i I worked with a lot of, like these entrepreneurs are in business. They're like the dreamers. They're the problem solvers. They're the innovators, right? Like so many of our innovations that we have today, all this great new stuff that comes up is from like startup, like founders, like entrepreneurs that see a problem. They put their hands up like, hey, I'm the one that's going to solve this. And then they start a business, but they, they don't have like that business foundation there. They usually just get it to a point where they can sell it or they get it to a point where not everybody can appreciate and experience the innovation and creativeness and the problems that they're solving that they can't experience it yet. So that and I've seen that a lot where they're so passionate about their product or so passionate about like the service that they're providing, but the the business foundation just isn't there. Like, you know, like for, for long-term existence, right. So that, so they can truly solve problems to the extent that they want to. So that that's where I kind of, that's my kind of obsession and purpose, and that's where I kind of broke off and um, with my with my partner, that's why we started Summit chasers is to work with those those entrepreneurs that maybe don't have you know, an MBA or uh, you know their family business. they didn't they didn't have a family business they could learn the ropes in. Um, but they have these great ideas and they have they're they're willing to they want to change the world. They just need the platform and the business foundation to do so.
0: You know, Nancy and I, my wife, that is, we always talk about without the foundations of your business, you can't put up the walls, can't put in the windows, can't put on the door. And no. the other thing that really populated for me was systems work. And that's also something that, that Nancy and I believe in is that if you have a system and a structure to what you teach or what you do, and it's duplicatable, it will continue to pr- produce results no matter what the company, no matter what the business, no matter how big or small, it works that way. So mm-hmm. n- now with summit chasers. So for, for people listening to this that are not uh, obviously, it's a wonderful backstory. But talk, talk to the people listening to this podcast or watching this that is that are an ideal fit, you know, for summit chasers, and also talk about, you know, when that person steps forward and says, you know, what, Zach, like I need summit chasers help you know, where is that person now before working with of Chasers and give an example of what can happen, what can transpire, what, oh. could, what, what could populate out on the other end after working with you guys?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great, I mean, I can give you a couple of examples of clients we're working with right now. So kind of where they're at is they, again, they have this great idea, this great product, and they, they have a, a great, like, this is the problem I want to solve. Right, but they're they're either running up against okay, I, I scale too fast and now other things are falling apart, right? Or I don't know how to scale appropriately right appropriately right now. Like I can't get it out to enough people, or I can't get the right people on board in order for me to be able to step away and work on the visionary stuff. Right. So we have a client right now who they they kind of they have a mothership, right? And they they're brokers like they buy and sell um, real estate. But they have that's their mothership, but they have these other passion projects. They have these other like this is what they truly want to do, which is broker consulting and, and coaching. And then they also have a it's really, really cool. They have a it's called Kidding Me Kids, where they do um they're from they're from India and uh they, they want to do uh, like animations and books for children that immigrate from other countries so they feel accepted and they, they see that they're like being represented and that kind of stuff. Um but their business. Is set in a way where they have to be involved 99.99% of the time and a lot of it is because when they're bringing people in or they're hiring people they're, they don't have like a clear path of what they want to achieve and they don't have the systems to duplicate it right so they're they're constantly involved so what we do is we bring in is we we really well first of all we find out okay where where are you lacking like where do we have to work on with you because the business owners they're the ceiling and the business can't grow past that ceiling right? So if they stop, if you stop growing as the business owner, that's as much as you're going to grow. Like that's it. You're, you're the cap, right? So we work on, okay, here's, here's where you're kind of, here's some weaknesses. We do a personal SWOT. Here's some weaknesses that you could work on, whether it's your leadership, your business planning, whatever it is, sales marketing, whatever it is, we identify that. We put together a personal plan for them. But anyways, that's what we do with the business owner, right? We really work on trying to develop their, their leadership and business capacity, right? But then adjacently we really try to define okay what is your what is the vision and mission purpose of the company so we work on like core values business principles um your your, again your purpose or mission statement something that if i can bring people in and get them unified around this like this is where we're going this is the direction that we're rowing and we need everybody rowing in the same direction a lot of companies don't even have that they're like you come in you get paid for me telling you what to do and you should do it when you're And you only have 10 to, even if you have 10 to 50 people on your, in your company, not everybody's gonna be in the same direction. You're not going to get people bought in, especially in the small business. That's a lot different life than if you go work at corporate corporate, it's nine to five. You get this many vacation days, you get this, but if you're a small business, it's seven to seven it's seven to midnight it's maybe holidays maybe not holidays so if you don't have a team that's bought into the vision and is willing to do the work to get there just like you if they don't bleed the colors like you do it's it's really really tough right so it's it's finding that that unified vision what do i what's the flag that we unify the team around and we really clearly define that and we use some of like that headshot concept so the, the three the three circles which is what can we be the best in the world at? what are we most passionate about and what what drives our economic engine And then from there, we work on, okay, what does your company need to look like in order to achieve that? So we really clearly define, we call it like mapping out your path, right? So we clearly define, okay, this is where we need to be in five years. Let's work backwards. Let's put together a strategic plan to get here in a year. Here's the steps we need to take in order to achieve this. And here's what it needs to look like, right? And here's the next step, right? So again, we try to, like for me, Gord, let's buy you a shirt. For some people, it might be, okay, let's go teach you how to hire a number two. Right. Like whatever that next, the next step is. Right. But we need to find out where you want to go, work your way backwards and set stretch goals to there. And I find a lot of this too, a lot of companies that they don't, they don't set, they don't set like far enough goals. Like they're not far enough away in time, but like big enough goals. Cause if we said, okay, I just want to grow 10% this quarter. I mean, you could do nothing. You could stay the same and grow 10% right? Especially if the market is is working for you, even if it's not, most companies can grow 10% just doing the same thing. But if you say, I want to grow 50%, the decisions you have to make is a lot different. The, the type of work you have to put in is a lot different. The, the amount of growth you have to put into yourself is a lot different. That's a different type of person that grows 50% in a quarter than one that grows 5 to 10%. So if we can set those bigger goals, it actually narrows our focus and allows you to be much more pointed in the decisions you make. But anyways, that's kind of our, our mapping out your path and then uh, make a clock. That's our, so it's kind of the acronym of summit. So we start with you, unify your team, map your path, and then make a clock. Make a clock is really, that's your systems and process. What are you doing now? Let's document what you're doing now. We use something called a CCF, which is a critical client flow. We map out what you're doing now and we identify leaks and opportunities. We try not to change everything because that's not, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work that way. But what are you doing now? What small things can we optimize? And now how can we duplicate those? right? So how can we turn it into training? How can we turn it into onboarding? How can we turn it into whatever it is, right? Just, just SOPs, right? Because a lot of companies don't a lot of especially small businesses, even big businesses don't have that. And then from there, we move into something like the eye, the eye is increasing your talent density. So now that we have all this set up, how do you hire for the right? How do you hire key roles? How do you hire key players? A lot of people don't, they hire their brother's friend, or they hire this person's resume, they've done something similar before, let's bring them in. When you, you have to hire for purpose, like what is the outcome we're trying to achieve we need to hire for that outcome right so and like a good example of this is like if you have a sales manager and you're trying you want you want to hire a new sales manager you want to hire a new sales manager for a current market that you're working that you're just trying to penetrate deeper into or you're trying to hire a sales manager for a new market that doesn't have any business and you're trying to penetrate a new market that's a much different skill set but if you just hire a sales manager who has sales manager experience you could get that they might not have experience enough or the skill set to achieve this specific outcome. So we work on um, how do you define for the roles you're trying to hire? How do you source them selection process? And then how do you do the offer? So how do you make sure that when you find the right person, how do you make sure that they take the offer? So that's increasing the talent density and as well as going through like leadership development. So how do we, you know, quarterly reviews and, one-on-one coaching and how do you you know lead by example, communicating with your team, understanding that communication isn't about the words you say; it's about the outcome you've achieved by the communication. And um, and then the T is time to scale. So that's the fun stuff. Once we have that foundation, then it's let's put all that together. And then we either work with them on their sales and marketing aspect, or we bring in somebody like yourself. Again, strategic partnerships. We bring in somebody like yourself to come in. This team they're super solid business wise. They're ready to blow up. Take her away from here, Scott. But that, that's thats the, kind of the, the premise of what we do. And then by the end of it, a lot of the companies that we work with, like it almost scales them, themselves because everything's set up. Like everything's moving smoother because things are documented. They're more innovative because they're bringing the right people in, right? Their their skills are much, more, much higher because we've created habits, whether it's them reading every night or developing themselves or pushing themselves. And then in turn, they're leading by example. They're communicating better. Right. So the business almost scales itself at that point without having to do, you know, whatever. Right. But again, most of the time I want, I like to, I like to partner with people, like to stay in my lane and bring in, bring in great people like you at that point.
0: Yeah. I mean, strategic partnerships, it's what, what it's all about, but you know, Mm -hmm. I really love what you described because when uh, a business or a company like Summit Chasers is clear on what they deliver, then obviously on the client facing side of things, they know exactly what we're, what they're going to get, but it is a collaboration. You know, um, Nancy and I teach very similar things, but you have to meet people in the middle. You know, you mm-hmm. can't, you, you, you have to allow that company or that strategic plan that's put in place. You got to give it time to work, but you also have to mm-hmm. have the necessary things in place to make them work. Um, yeah. Another quick thing yeah. before... Uh, I get to my final question, something that really populated for me. And, um, you know, for a lot of these people, you can't see the label from inside the jar, right? Mm -hmm. So instead of working in your business, you know, allow people to help you work on your business. So having extra sets of eyeballs allow you to see the kinks, allow you to see the holes, the gaps, you know, what are those things? What are those bottlenecks that are holding you back from not achieving the things that you want to achieve? So, before I, I get to my final question, if someone is interested, uh, either an individual company, small business, is interested in connecting with you, finding out more about Summit Chasers, what's the best place and, and how can people get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, I know I appreciate that. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Zach Carlin, or Summit Chasers Network on LinkedIn, or you can go to SCN Get Started. So Summit Chasers Network Get Started, SCN Get Started, and you can book you can book there. But we're on every social platform. We have the podcast. Um, You can always comment on there or anything like that. But if you want to directly um, find out how we could work with you, then SCN get started.
0: Awesome. So all that information that Zach shared, obviously, will be in the description of this episode, but also in the email that goes out the morning that the episode comes out. So you're not going to have to look too far. So Zach, final question before we sign off. What does success truly mean to you?
1: Ever since you told me that you're going to ask that question, I've been thinking about it almost every day since then. I'm not exaggerating whatsoever every day so what success means to me and this goes to a quote i can't remember where 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 the quote was but they they posted a picture of the queen and this was like she's been gone for six months and i bet this is the first time you thought of her since she passed and i was like yeah that's very true even like the queen of england she passed away and i haven't batted an eye right so a a lot of like what does success mean to me and this is this might sound kind of morbid but it's going to be who are the people that show up to my funeral? How many people show up to my funeral and why are they showing up to my funeral? Is it because they want to make sure I'm dead or is it because I made an impact in their life in a positive way? Right. And I, and I, like I paid it forward. So I think that that's, that's kind of what I landed on. I think it's just how many people show up to my funeral when I pass for the right reasons.
0: Well, there's a great book I'm going to recommend to you. Uh, It's from a fellow Canadian. His name is Cody Schuwin and the book is called Everyday Legacy. Um, I'm not going to give up too much of what the book is about, but I highly recommend you read it. Uh, Cody's a great guy, friend of mine. Uh, it's a bestseller, and just that the whole premise of the book is leaving your legacy while you're still living, not when you're gone. And mm-hmm. I I love that concept. I love that principle. And uh, our legacies are are the only things that get left behind. You know, when we're mm-hmm. gone, you know, uh, it was a uh, at the time that we're recording this, the day before this, it was Martin Luther King Day. And, you know, he would have been 90, I think seven or 98 years old this year. And he's been gone for 50 some years, but his legacy still lives on. People still quote him all the time. Like he was just here. And I think not everyone has to strive to be Martin Luther King, but I think every single one of us should look to try to impact as many people as we can in a positive way while we're still here. So, Zach, uh, always enjoy our conversations. Just grateful for you and everything that you share today. And I know my audience is going to take so much away from this. So, thank you again for being here today.
1: Thank you. I can't thank you enough, my friend. Appreciate you.
0: Absolutely. And looking forward to obviously more strategic partnerships and collaborations with you. And again, for those that are listening and watching, please like, subscribe. Uh, if you're on YouTube, turn that notification bell on. If you're listening, uh, whether it's Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, wherever, uh, please subscribe. Leave us a rating and review. Let us know what you loved most about this episode so we can continue to bring you exactly what you want. So, everyone, please enjoy the rest of your days, and I'll talk to you next time. Thank you so much for checking out today's episode. If you could, please support this podcast by hopping over to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or any place that you're listening to this, leave us a rating and review. Let us know what you loved most and what you would like to hear more of. But also, if you would like to learn how to take your business to the next level, whether it's using LinkedIn or working directly with myself and Nancy in our intimate group coaching programs, you can head over to www.thetimetogrow.com or scotteron.net to learn more. Thank you again for your support, love and gratitude, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay.